This sermon was recorded at Highway San Jose in San Jose, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Well, thank you for being here tonight, everybody. Um, We have reached the end of the book of Galatians tonight, and um, that's a good thing. Uh, Unfortunately, it seems we've reached the end of our rope as a country, and we've had more shootings today. And so uh, I just wanted to take a second, and let's just take a second and pray together and just have a period of silence. I Frankly, I don't know what to, you know, what to even pray for tonight. I just kind of heard about this when I got here. So let's just take a minute and be quiet if you'd like to pray for... Um, the victims, if you'd like to pray for the victims' families, if you'd like to pray for how do we as a church respond to this, if you'd just like to pray and be sad and mourn, let's just take uh, a few minutes and pray together before we continue. And I'll close this after a little bit. Heavenly Father, we are um, sad tonight again, and it feels like uh, every few days uh, there's something to, to be sad about in this way. Um, we know you have overcome the world, and yet we see the effects of the fallen world that we live in all around us. We see the division, we see the fear, we see the violence. Uh, we saw it in France this week, and we see it back in our own country Uh, this week as well. Um, Would you calm our hearts as a country? Would you calm the divisions that roil within us? And would you show us as Christ followers how to be a healing presence um, locally, uh, globally, whatever it might be, God, would you continue to speak to us? And may we not sort of shut our eyes from this, but may we uh, be present to it and be present to what you would have us to do and how you would have us mourn and move forward from here and pray. And so, uh, God, would you move among us and uh, stop the violence in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, before we get to the last section of Galatians tonight, I wanted to kind of go back through the book and kind of look at some of the, the greatest hits from Galatians, if you will, in order to kind of remind ourselves of where we've been through the book and and some of the high points in Paul's narrative. So as we do that, you might recall the incident that opens the book of Galatians. And it's a situation that kind of sits as the backdrop to the whole book. There were, in Galatia, certain teachers, um, some might even call them missionaries or false missionaries, who were preaching a form of Christianity that combined the teachings of Christ with the ancient Jewish practice of Torah or keeping the laws of Moses. And in and of itself, that's not surprising given that the, the Christian movement began in the Jewish context. 
And so these new communities of faith were having to figure out what that meant and what to do with all these traditions that they had in place. But these teachers took it a step further and they said things like, no, you had to practice Torah, you had to adhere to the laws of Moses, and you had to be circumcised and things like that to be part of the new community of Christ. Well, Paul says, no way. And that's the argument that the content of Galatians hangs on. Paul trying to lay out that in Christ, we now focus on new things, on the spirit and on our faith, and we don't look to outward actions and to practicing the law and things of that nature to define our faith. So at the beginning of the summer, I met uh, someone who was part of the Jewish tradition and uh, a friend of my wife's. And, you know, she asked me what I did, and that's always an interesting conversation. And, and we got through that, and I told her I was going to be doing some preaching, and she was very kind and very interested and, and said that, in fact, her father had started a synagogue years ago in, in San Jose. And so uh, we were at a wedding together about two weeks ago, and she, again, very kind of remembered what I'd said and said, well, how is the preaching going? And I said, well, I think it's going okay. You probably have to ask for the poor people that have to sit out there and listen to me mumble, but I think it's going okay. And she said, well, what, what are you preaching about? What are you talking about? And I said, well, it's, it's funny you should ask. I'm, we're looking at Galatians and we're looking at how when Christ came, Jewish people were trying to figure out how to take these traditions and, and make them new or not, and Paul was, was, was dealing with that. And she was very interested by that, and, and I said, you know, do you mind if I ask if, wh what do you think about that? You know, do you, do you practice any of this stuff, and, and how, how would you, how does that sit with you, kind of a thing, you know? And she said, well, she wasn't very active, but she, um, the one thing that she did do was she kept uh, kosher. She tried to keep the kosher laws, and I, and I asked her to kind of tell me more about that, and she said, well, she said, I, I love doing it because if I feel like it, it connects me to the past. It connects me to something bigger than I am. And so I thought that was interesting in light of Galatians that here we are, you know, thousands of years past Galatians, and it kind of brought the... Uh, kind of the earth-shaking nature of the book into, into view for me because here were these people who had these traditions that were very meaningful to them. And, and, and spirituality is us reaching for the same thing. We all want to feel like we're connected to something. We're connected to God. We're connected to something bigger than ourselves. And that's what Paul was kind of up against in Galatians, trying to, trying to unhook people from these traditions that had kind of attached to some of them in an unhealthy way. So that's kind of the world of Galatians. So let's just go back and kind of quickly go through some of the greatest hits of Galatians, some of the key teachings. So here we go. Chapter 2, verse 16. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So this is a key teaching in the book. Paul presenting the idea that it's not the law that saves us. It's not the practices. It's not works that save us. Galatians, after all, is the text that we got the Protestant Reformation from via Martin Luther. And the central idea is right there. It's our faith in Christ that saves us. Christ has done the work and is doing the work not us. Let's keep going. 
chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here we see that in Christ, our very lives are not our own, but that's actually a good thing. And again, the thing that keeps that relationship warm is faith. It's not actions, it's not striving. It's a constant, consistent reminding of ourselves that Christ is in the center of the affairs of our lives. In chapter three, we saw this. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. A similar theme here. Here Paul's kind of taking the Galatians all the way back to the Old Testament, to the story of Abraham, to remind them that the most important thing that Abraham did was he believed in God. He believed in the promise. He believed that God would make good on the promise. It wasn't about his actions. It wasn't about him striving and doing things and whipping things up. So in kind, we should focus on our faith in Christ and on our belief and on him, not on our ability to be righteous or to somehow manufacture righteousness. Also in chapter 3, verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So this is the central text addressing the division in the community that Paul was faced with in this stratified society organized by class. Again, this is like an earth-shattering teaching. Last month, my wife and I uh, went to New York City and neither of us had been there for very long. I'd been there a couple times and um, this time we really got a chance to dig in. We had about four days where we really got to enjoy the city and really, um, we fell in love with it. Both of us just fell in love with New York and all the craziness of it, and all the, all the chaos. Uh, we really had a great time. And aside from just like having a great time, I was really very touched and very moved by what I felt like was almost this like kingdom of God-like activity that was going on there. And let me explain, because that probably sounds really weird. I mean, here in this tiny island and the surrounding areas, you have you know, millions of people, and they're all different. They're all, there's rich people, there's poor people, there's people from every culture you could imagine. There's, and everybody is pressed together in this tiny place, right? And somehow it's working. You know, everybody's got their coffee, everybody's getting on the subway, everybody's got bagels, you know, whatever it is. And, and it's just, it's working. Now, when I, when I say it's working, I know if you've been to New York, there's also this kind of energy that feels like everybody's going to kill each other at any given moment. So I, I get that, but I was very moved by this idea that all people were sort of in one place at, at, at one time, and it was, it, was, it was working, and I was very, it felt like the kingdom of God. You know? So I took this picture, like 11 o'clock at night, on the top of the Empire State Building, and it almost looks like celestial, right? And before you think I've lost my mind, I also took this picture of a really giant cockroach in the subway. So I get, like, I get it, I know that New York is not the new Jerusalem, but I, I just really was touched by that. So that idea of transformational unity is, is extremely controversial. It was extremely controversial. Uh, 
in Paul's day. And it still is today, right? I mean, look at everything that's going on. You know, the racial divisions that we're experiencing. But it's, it's still a monumental teaching for us. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And I love this idea of we're heirs according to the promise. Again, back to that Abraham story. It's the promises of God and the character of God that saves us, ultimately. That's what unites us, ultimately. Not the things that we do, not the things that we try to do. Our faith is not dependent on our ability to uphold our end of the deal. And thank God for that. Let's keep going. Chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, here, Paul addresses the disunity in Galatia, and he presents a new framework for how to interact with each other. You know, the Greco-Roman world was a world obsessed with honor and the constant kind of status and, and placing of oneself above each other and, and trying to stay ahead of somebody else and trying to place ourselves in society. But in Christ, Paul says, we don't live like that. We don't think like that. We don't act like that. We resist the temptation to live in constant competition with one another. And that's a basic rule of Christian community. And again, it's a, it's a poignant teaching for our world today, right? So those are some of the greatest hits. So let's look at the very end of Galatians here. And we're in chapter 6, uh, verse 7. Let's check this out. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Paul got the Sharpie out there, apparently. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So this section makes up kind of a summary in itself, a summary of the book, and a summary of some of Paul's main arguments. And it starts with his comparison of flesh and spirit, and that idea that if, if we live according to the direction of the spirit, our lives will reap not just the fruit of the spirit, like we saw a couple weeks ago, but also eternal life. And that focusing on the flesh, on the other hand, on our tendency to you know, become enslaved by the things of the world, those things lead to destruction. And you know, we know this internally, right? We, we feel this. But it becomes hard to quiet you know, the urges that, that we live by. And, and we live according to the flesh. You know. 
We'll see that next week as we start a, uh, a series on the life of David. I mean, here's somebody who was constantly in that push and pull, right? But Paul reminds us of the importance of remaining with the Spirit. And you may recall that we looked at this idea of the Spirit working through us when we looked at this text in chapter 5. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So the work of the Spirit is active, but it requires patience on our part as we wait for the Spirit's work to unfold in us. This is a sharp contrast, you know, to the works of the law and the striving that the Galatians were used to and that Paul was so bugged by, right? And our lives get swallowed by that kind of action too. Action items, hurrying from place to place. You know, we're in a frenzy half the time here in Silicon Valley. I read an article this morning about a new occupation that's developing in Italy, and that's simply this. You can pay someone, and they will wait in line for you. And on the one hand, you know, I thought, that's crazy, you know. And on the other hand, if you've ever been to Italy and had to wait in line for like an espresso, it's like a, it's a full contact sport, right? But I thought, isn't that amazing that we're in this world now where we, we can't even wait in line. We have to pay other people to wait in line for us. It's ridiculous. And then I thought, wait a minute, Costco. I think I would pay a lot of money for somebody to just... Yeah, here's the cart, I'm going to go have some samples, have some shrimp dip, right? But the life, so that's our lives, right? But the life of the Spirit, if we contrast it with our lives, it's a patient, centered progression of waiting for the Spirit and waiting for the teachings of Christ to take root in us. Because the work of the Spirit is, of course, spiritual. It can be very hard to sit in the slow unfolding of righteousness that it sometimes takes us. I think it was Eugene Peterson who once called the Christian life a slow obedience in the same direction. Well, I, think that's, I think that's really accurate. And if I was talking about me, it would be more like a slow attempt at obedience in the same direction. But the slow part is, is hard for us, it's difficult, right? As we've talked about, we love the immediate, we love you know, the now, we're gripped by the immediate in our society, right? A book came out a few years ago called Present Shock, and it was about this idea that in our society now, everything has to happen now, and if it doesn't happen now, we get crazy, you know, and what are the implications of that on our brains and things, you know? The spiritual life, though, is slow. That's reflected in scripture, and, it's, and if we think of examples from our own lives, like it always unfolds slowly like that. God is not on our timeline, he's not impressed that we can whip out our iPhones and come up with the answer to any pop culture question, you know, in, in eight seconds or whatever. God's timing is not ours, it's his, and the work of the Spirit is on God's timeline. I think that's why Paul throws in this. 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So this is something that um, Dean, who founded Highway, has told me and our staff over the years as we get discouraged or tired or disenfranchised. Let us not become weary in doing good. He always uses the King James. Let us not be weary in well-doing. And Paul says, we're at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. That's what Paul is saying here. 
The way of the cross is difficult, but it, and it unfolds slowly, but it's the true path, right? So don't give up on it. It's easy to give into anger, despair, trying to hangle, handle things our own way, trying to get ahead of God, trying to take care of things, right? Come up with alternate plans, safeguards, you know, try to work around God. And it's easy nowadays just to, just to, just to give into despair, right? We see everything going around in the world, and, and it's, it's, it's easy to just say, man, I don't, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to think, you know. But Galatians reminds us to not grow weary in well-doing. I think that's a word for us here at Highway San Jose, too. As we creep toward, you know, our one-year anniversary shortly here, we're going to look back and we're going to celebrate, you know, and we're going to be honest about where we are, okay? We're going to be honest about what we are and, and see what changes we can make. And, uh, you know, we each have a role to play in that. I really believe that, you know. We're small, and we all have a role to play in what this thing becomes. And I think a message for us as we enter this next season is to not grow weary in well-doing. And, you know, the events of the past year and the past week even are devastating. And every week, there seems to be more of that, you know. But we can't grow weary in well-doing. Let us, once again, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. God is in control. We need to remind ourselves of that. And as we saw last week, we're not the center of the universe. Thank God for that. We're followers of Christ, and we have a responsibility to faith and to each other and to doing good in the world and helping to initiate the kingdom of God. That's why we're all here, right? That's a tough job description. We all feel that. We all sense that, I think. But Paul encourages us here. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we do give up, he reminds us, destruction awaits. So, no pressure. (laughs) So Paul saves one last jab here for the circumcision gang and for those who were teaching that to be part of the family of Christ meant Old Testament law. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. What counts is the new creation. After everything that Paul has gone over, after after the divisions in the community, the factions, the false teaching, the confrontations, at the end of the day, at the end of the letter, Paul assures us that what counts is the new creation. It's the answer to that question. Are you a new creation? Am I a new creation? Are we becoming new creations? Are we living by faith, patiently, through the Spirit, you know? Is the fruit of the Spirit seen in us? Is it coming out of us? So as we close tonight, and we close out the book of Galatians, I think that's a fitting place to end on this idea of the new creation. Galatians has been about God telling us just that, that in Christ there's newness. There's a new way to think about our lives. There's a new way to think about other people and how we divide ourselves from other people. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that newness. In fact, the life with Christ, as we've seen, is the definition of freedom. It's for freedom that Christ 
has set us free. So that's a question for us tonight. Are we, are we new creations? Are we being constantly made new as we live spirit-filled lives? Those kind of lives can be the antidote to what's going on around us, I think. I think we believe that. I think we have to believe that. If we live as new creations, doing good to all people, as Paul says, our newness just might bring healing to the world, which, after all, is what Christ came to do. And again, our little church campus here is a new creation, or at least we hope it is, right? Can we dedicate ourselves to that idea as we take root here in San Jose and kind of begin our next chapter and find out what our story is? Can we embrace the idea that God wants to do something through us here? Through us and in spite of us, maybe. And so we ask ourselves, what ways will will our communities here in San Jose recognize us as new creations, right? It's exciting to think about. And we'll be talking more about that as we as we move towards September and beyond. But during the few minutes that we have left tonight, um, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And uh, we're going to reflect and be thankful uh, for the message of Galatians. And around the room there's a few stations. There's one here, and there's one over there on that table, and then there's one over there. And these are just simple meditations on some of the challenges that we've, we've walked through together in Galatians. So we'll take a few minutes tonight as we close and just walk around and interact with these. There's a few things to do um, and, and, and touch and write and things like that, but just uh, use this time to worship and, and remember some of the teaching that we've encountered in Galatians. And if you'd like to sit there and worship or walk about, about the room or just be quiet, that's okay too. But we're going to take a little bit of time and reflect tonight as we close. And as we do that, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the book of Galatians. We thank you for uh, the eerie way in which it speaks to us today. Uh, Through Paul, you were writing to a world divided, a church divided, a community divided, and we're the same. Our world is divided, um, and we long to step into the spaces where we can help and and create unity and, and as Paul says, do good to all people in the world. And God, as we, uh, as we finish up the book tonight, God, would you, uh, would you speak to us in terms of what you'd like us to take and digest specifically uh, as individuals, uh, as Highway San Jose, God, as we interact with uh, the stations, would you speak to us and would you bless us and uh, bless us over the coming year as we figure out uh, our story and continue to figure out uh, what our mission is here in San Jose. Thanks for the book of Galatians. Thanks for your teaching. And thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.